wrestling with fame is very hard for me as a person. It's just a weakness I've always wanted to be uh, known for something. But the Lord has continually said, no. No. I I want you to be known for loving me. Hello friends, welcome to episode 102 of the Between You and Me podcast, the place where we talk to music makers about the things that hurt, heal and change us in evangelical culture. My name is Jessica Morris. I am an Aussie music journalist, currently grounded in my home country due to COVID, and I am so excited for today's conversation with none other than Steel Ross White. Now, today's episode is sponsored by our friends at JesusWide.com, your number one source for Christian music news, reviews, and interviews. Now, the name Steel Cross White may ring a bell for people. For one, it's like a total superstar name. But two, Steel has actually been part of the music industry for a long time. This guy is a worship pastor at Salt Lake City, Utah, uh, with a church called The Rock Church. They have released a ridiculous amount of albums over the years and I actually chat to Steel today about their latest single. But Steel's story goes back much further than that. He grew up Mormon, converted to Christianity, um, then made it big in music. He's overcome tragedy, he's grappled with addiction and he's basically chosen to forego a solo career to basically build up the church um, and create really quality world-class music and Christian circles, which I think we're all for. Steel is such a cool guy, someone that I never would have crossed paths with had the publicist that I work with been like, hey, have you heard of Steel Whitecross? But I'm so glad we met. His story is exactly the sort of one that I wanted to start like grappling with and sharing when we started this podcast. That line between secular and Christian, um, where we talk about real hard stuff and share stories. Um, so I'm not going to delay any longer. My friends, you're going to hear a short bio about still of the Rock Church. And then you're going to go straight into my interview. Still Ross White isn't your average worship pastor. For one, he has a rock star name. Can you imagine the self-titled album? And two, well, he's actually a rock star, like I said. Steele has opened for bands like The Almost and Maroon 5. Now he runs his church's worship collective. It's a big leap, right? But let me start from the beginning. You see, Steele grew up in Utah and his family converted from Mormonism to Christianity when he was a teenager. Steele loved music and actually learned guitar from his father, Bill. And under his dad's guidance, he started the rock grunge band Choice of Rain. Renaming the band Silver Crush, still perfected his craft, becoming an established songwriter, guitarist and lead singer in the 90s. The band was a crucial part of Salt Lake City's music scene and they would share the stage with Third Eye Blind, Everclear and The Foo Fighters. Mind blown. Now come the early 2000s and Steel and the band were primed for stardom. However, the night before they performed at the Emerging Artists and Talents Music Conference, Bill Crosswhite, his father and their manager, passed away unexpectedly. This moment was formative in Steele's personal and professional life. And Silver Crush actually still played at that conference in honor of Bill. It landed them multiple offers from major record companies. And in 2001, they signed to an independent label, Red Light Entertainment. Steele was only 21 years old. Now, Silver Crush's debut album, Stand, was released in 2002. And it's fair to say that Steel was living his dream. He gained a Billboard number one album in the new artist Mountain Regions charts. He toured with Cheryl Crow, Counting Crows, and Train. During all this, he was understandably grieving for his father and he battled addiction. His family were understandably concerned. But the thing is, church was the last place Steele wanted to be. But after he was invited to a Saturday night service at the Rock Church in Salt Lake City, Utah by his sister, he decided to go because she promised that he could smoke at the front door of the building and that God wouldn't strike him down with lightning. Fair call. 
Now call it a metamorphosis, a Damascus Road moment, or a conversation with the divine. But still Crosswhite encountered God. And in the months following that church service, his life changed. He altered his lifestyle and gave up his successful bands. He put music to the side and began making it for the church. And soon he actually grappled with the idea of becoming a Christian musician. Big call. Now, it still had the chops for it, but it didn't sit right with him being a CCM solo superstar. After all, fame and pain is actually what brought him to his knees in the first place. When Still was invited to lead worship and work with musicians at his church, it actually felt like the perfect fit for his new path in life, and the rock music, a collective of musicians in and around his church, was born. In 2004, Still's first solo album, Anything Drops, which talked about his faith and conversion experience, and he continued to dip his toes into the waters of Christian music, releasing a demo EP and album captured by Grace. Meanwhile, he worked to develop and mould up-and-coming musicians in and around his church, and they released multiple compilations and a live album. In 2013, Steele actually delivered his fifth solo album, titled From There to Here. And over the last decade, he has worked as a pastor and worship leader with the rock music, refining their sound to create Christ-centred music without compromise. Authenticity, high-quality production, and world-class quality are all things that this collective values. And in Steele's mind, the church should be leading the way in creating art, not following behind and trying to catch up. This ministry has had an incredible result both locally and nationally. On a ground level, the Rock Church and the Music Collective do life with a community steeped in the Mormon and Latter-day Saint belief systems. Utah is a state with among the fewest Bible-believing Christians in the United States of America. Their music has also found success when nationally their music was placed on soundtracks God's Not Dead, A Light in the Darkness, and Samson. All the while, Still has worked as a producer, lyricist, and musician, and has had song placements in national ad campaigns and on MTV. After releasing multiple albums with the rock music in the last decade, the collective is back after three years with a fresh, powerful sound, and their latest single, All Around, featuring the vocals of Steel, came out in May under Dream Label Group. It's fair to say that Steel's life is nothing like what he would ever imagine. I spoke to Steel about the rock music collective and his tumultuous journey to recovery, his faith, and finding purpose. This man is a legend who grapples his individual art with the collective sound of people. Get ready to be blown away by this interview, my friends. This is Still Crosswise of The Rock Music. For everyone who is new to meeting Still Crosswise, who are you? Yeah, well, that's a great question. Well, like you said, my name is Steel Crosswhite. I uh, first and foremost am a Christian. I love Jesus with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. Uh, I'm a husband to my beautiful wife of 16 years and uh, a dad to three kids. I have a 12-year-old boy, a 10-year-old girl, and a 7-year-old boy. And, uh, and I work as a pastor and music director of a church in the United States uh, in a state called Utah. Um, as a uh, worship director, pastor, I teach the Bible and I write and play music and direct our bands out here in Utah. For those that don't know... Utah is the uh, least evangelical state in the country of the United States. So I got my work cut out for me, spreading the good news. Yes, and that's saying something in the United States because yes. your, your country is so... Australia is post-Christian. America isn't there. A, a lot of America is like being Christian or going to church is, apart from Utah, a part of culture and identity. So... I can appreciate that is extremely difficult. Yes, yeah, 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 difficult and important. You know, we find that in Utah, there's a predominant religion here called Mormonism or uh, Latter-day Saints. And we have lots of friends and neighbors and people that we interact with on a regular basis that um, are Mormon. They identify as Mormon. So it's actually quite a spiritual climate, talking about God, talking about the things of God, even the Bible itself or morality, all those things are very easy to bring up to uh, the culture around us, but getting to who Jesus is as identified in the Bible 
is a different kind of conversation. So, yeah. 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 Can you tell me how you got started in music? Because I know that led you to become a pastor, but you didn't essentially start in a spot where I would expect this for your life. Um, No, not at all. So music has always been a part of my life. Um, It started when I was a young man, so it always seems like it starts that way. But uh, by the the earliest memories I have, um, I have of music. My father was um, a touring musician in his day, in the 60s. He played in a band that had an opportunity to, to tour with the Rolling Stones and the Kinks and the Kingsmen in Europe. Um, in Europe, that's where he was. And, uh, and he loved Elvis, and he loved the Beatles, and he loved all the greats, the great rock and rollers. And so at a young age, starting at five, I was singing, and uh, my dad would play guitar, and I would sing for family and friends, and eventually um, got into talent shows at various schools and things like that. So I was always moving forward in, in music. I think in, in first grade, I put on aviator sunglasses and did some talent shows about Elvis. And in fifth grade, I was doing talent shows with guns, you know, about Guns and Roses. And, and so music has always been a part of my life. I remember watching old Elvis movies and documentaries about the Beatles and my dad singing songs around campfires and around our kitchen table. I started to um, play the guitar at about age 14, um, and I'm a left-handed guitar player. I was born with a smaller left hand, and so my dad taught me. I I tried to go into some uh, music schools or guitar schools, and they struggled to teach me for whatever reason because of my smaller hand, and my dad taught me how to play the guitar, and I, I took to it pretty naturally and started writing my first songs around age 14 or 15. of your ways No, go for it, please. So, um, when I was 12, we started going to a Lutheran church, and uh, and we were here in, in, in uh, Utah, which again is predominantly LDS. My parents would smoke, and they would drink, and that's a huge no-no to the Mormon culture, particularly at that time. I didn't grow up going to church necessarily, but at age 12, uh, my sister... She started attending a Lutheran church. She would have been 15. And uh, my family and I started to to attend that same church, Um, me being the age of 12 and her being 15. And I got involved in the youth group, and my dad got involved in the worship team playing music. And we all uh, became Christians around the same time, which is pretty miraculous. I had heard a a story of uh, King David and heard a story about... Um, Jesus at a young age, not really having been super familiar with the Bible. My my understanding of religion was mainly that we were gross because we weren't, or dirty because we weren't Mormon. And so going to this Lutheran church was very different for us um, to learn about the grace and the love of Jesus. So I received Christ, if you will, uh, as my Savior at age 12. My understanding, of course, being limited. I'm only 12. Um, but to the best of my ability, it was, Lord, I I want you to be a part of my life. Um, I continued to go to that Lutheran church with my family for several years, and so what I would say is about from the ages of 12 to 16, we were quite involved in the church, um, doing youth groups and camps and going to church barbecues and things like that. But around 16, I, like I mentioned, I started playing guitar at 14, 
15, I think I wrote my first song. And 16, um, music started to take a hold of my life in a whole new way. I started my first band at age 16. And my dad, having um, the background of music, and he at this time was a, a, a businessman. He was a financial planner, but also just a, a businessman at that time. He wanted to take me under his wing and help me develop musically, help me develop my strategy of, of uh, how I was going to go about presenting my original songs to the world. And so I stopped going to church, and if you want to take some lingo, I, I made uh, music really the most important thing in my life. In other words, it would have been, would have been like God to me. <laughs> I, I was obsessed with playing, with learning, with writing, with singing. Um, by the time I was 17, I had formed this band. I had written a lot of original music, but we were too young to play in any bars out here in Utah. You have to be age 21 to be in any bars or to play anything, to, to go to any clubs. That's how music is presented, at least at that time, to go into the clubs where people would be, and you would showcase your music, and you would play, and you know how it goes. And uh, So my dad became our manager of the band and uh he started promoting us on radio stations going to meet program directors and radio programmers and uh other tastemakers if you will like the weekly magazines that were coming out on the t at the time and telling them all about this new band that was gonna that was coming out of the out of the wraps that he was managing out of the works and uh the first the second show we had ever played the first show we had played was what he called a throwaway show he was talking about us, but he wanted us to get our jitters out. He wanted the band to be prepared. He he wanted us to get all the nerves out. So he didn't tell anybody about it. He just said, you're going to go play this show. We went and played this show, and it was fine. Um, but, you know, we didn't know any better. It was like, let's get the jitters out. This is what you're going to do. And about three weeks after that, we had a, a number of shows that were lined up for us that were selling out clubs in town. So he had done all this work ahead of time to promote this band and uh long long story short within the period of about three years we became quite a successful band um we were selling out clubs all over our region we were playing uh in different states we were playing in uh, of course all the clubs in utah and had some quite some great local success regional success um at this time the lord was not a part of my life really i think uh he was important to me deep down but he wasn't someone I thought about, was not someone who had my affection. We were um, growing in our influence with music, growing in our stage show. To fast forward a bit more, you know, within those three years, we got, a, we got a, an opportunity in the year 2000. Is that right? Jeez Louise. Yeah, 2000. To go play a showcase in Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, a musical showcase called Eden which was Emerging Artist Talent in Music. It was uh, one of these things you've probably heard of before where a bunch of bands come together and all the industry execs come oh, and you kind of try to make an impression for the next management team or the next booking agent or record label. And the idea is to promote yourself as a band and showcase your music to whoever might be so that you could have opportunity to move further beyond. My dad had been our manager and my best friend, by the way, uh, all during this time. I loved him to pieces. He and I were very similar. He was a musician. He was funny. He loved his wife. He loved his kids. I loved him to pieces. Loved him. Um, he set up this uh, showcase for us. And so we went out three days ahead of time. It was in June. Our show was June 9th, 2000 at the Hard Rock Cafe in Las Vegas. Three days before that, we went out and peppered the entire it seemed like the entire strip of Las Vegas with promotion material about our band. Come check out our band, and we had posters and matchbooks made and all the things that you used way back when, you know, 20 years ago, to get people to come to your show and passed out all these free samples of our music and really tried to make a splash to separate ourselves from all these other bands that were also at the same showcase. Well, the night before we were to play that showcase, June 8th, my dad suddenly passed away what's called an abdominal aortic aneurysm. It was very traumatic for me. I was uh, I was 21 years old at the time. And it was very involved. The way he died 
was not sudden like you might see of a heart attack or a passing. It, there was quite a lot of suffering involved with him. He was very quick, but we had spent some time in the emergency room, and I remember having to carry my dad into the bathroom, and, and us trying to get back into the emergency room, and there was a whole situation there for like six hours we waited in the emergency room as my dad declined he eventually was seen this would have been on the 7th of june he was eventually seen by the doctors they told him it was kidney stones sent him back to the room to recover back in our hotel and that next day he died so we had to call the ambulance he was on his way to the ambulance again for a second time um at least to the hospital on the way to the hospital and he passed away which was very traumatic for me at a young age. Um, and of course, didn't know anybody who has been close to somebody who's experienced grief understands how thwarting that can be. Nothing without your presence. I'm constantly craving more of Christ in me. And with every question, you're my only answer. Are you a creator? Do you like creating fancy slideshows for church? Or maybe you're a videographer, a podcaster like me. Maybe you just love creating things and you need amazing stock music or videos to fill the needs. That is where Soundstripe comes in. The team at Soundstripe are world-class musicians who have hired world-class musicians to create stock music without all the loopholes of licensing. Simply subscribe and you can select what track you want and license it as many times as you want. It's a great way to support artists and create world-class content. We love our friends at Soundstripe. We have been partnered with them since the first episode of Between You and Me, and we are so grateful for their support. If you would like to use their content or check them out, go right now to soundstripe.com and use the code UMEPOD at checkout for 10% off. That is the code UMEPOD at the checkout, and you will get 10% off. You're welcome. Hey, it's me again. Big surprise, I know. But you know what I love? Nearly equally as much as good music. I love a good band tea. And I love a good nostalgic band tea, which is why I'm a big fan of the Between You and Me web store. If you head there right now, you will actually find that we have throwbacks to some of the most iconic Christian musicians and plenty of ammunition for the next catch up with the friends you survived Christian college with or who also survived being a PK with. Go check out our t-shirts, our hoodies, our masks, because that's a thing in 2020, and even our phone covers or notebooks. We would love you to take home a piece of Between You and Me and remember wherever you go that you belong here, that you are a part of a family of misfits and worshippers and questioners and people who apparently like nostalgia. Go and check it out now at our website, betweenyouandmepod.com, and hit the shop button. All that to say... What we had decided as a band, my mom was there, my sister was there, my brothers were there all to support us, um, was that we wanted to go through with playing the showcase that was scheduled that next day, which would have been June 9th. So he passed away on June 8th. We decided, let's go through and play this showcase because we did all this work. My dad would have loved it. And uh, without sounding silly, um, we played the show and immediately all these people that had heard about us for those three days beforehand had heard now the manager of our band had passed away. And so they all came out to support us because we were going to play it anyway. And so we had a sold out, if you will, packed uh, room at the Hard Rock Cafe in Las Vegas. Great room, great stage, great sound. 
and we played that showcase and immediately we had record deal offers. I was age 21, we had, uh, we had offers to go on particular tours and booking agents. It was a little bit like a movie. It felt a little bit like a movie. Um, really exciting, but um, also kind of overwhelming. Um, and to make a long, long story short, um, we, we ended up signing, we had a couple of different record deal offers from different companies. I think we had one from Sony and an offer from Island. And we ended up signing with a record company called Redline Records. Redline sign, uh, was a subsidiary of Best Buy. I don't know if you're familiar yes. with Best Buy. Yes, okay. okay. So they had signed Prince uh, and they had signed Pete Townsend from The Who and they had signed The Black Crows. And then we were the only other band that was signed by them. And so we went out and recorded an album uh, with a different, just some different producers that worked with a number of great out, you know, artists from Bob Dylan to the wow. uh, the uh, the Black Crows to uh, John Mellencamp, just great seasoned writers, and all during this time, um, while everything was going well for us musically, that's all I had ever known really mm-hmm. was music. Um, had obviously had an affection for the Lord at some point. Uh, between the ages of 12 and 16, he was still in my life. But after my dad died and I'd seen him suffer and we were kind of propelled to some version of success that started to happen, uh, drinking became a huge problem for me. And uh, partying became a huge problem for me. Um, and so I think without trying to sound dramatic, we, we had been on, uh, we were placed on a lot of great tours. We were flying to certain places to go play sh- shows. We, we played with... Uh, I'm name dropping here, but just oh, to give you please. some idea, yeah. not to promote myself, but just to give you an idea of going from a regional band to a global band almost overnight. Mm-hmm. We were touring with Sheryl Crow and Maroon 5 and Ziggy Marley, and I think I played with uh, the Counting Crows and Third Eye Blind and Foo Fighters, all like lightning fast. Yeah. And as that was happening, there was a couple of years there that we were playing that I just, you know... It, it sounds silly, but the reality is, is that I just, I drank and drank and drank. I just drank and drank and drank. And I love music and I love performing and I love, I loved it, but there was just so much that I hadn't dealt with. Um, so much that, uh, I love the, the, I think at that time, you know, the, for, for me, um, the loss of my dad, uh, the feeling like I had my dreams come true, all those things, I just couldn't make sense of it in my head. So I turned to a lot of bad habits, you know, had a lot of fun, um, but uh, was, was quite a mess. I was on the road for about six months, and mm-hmm. I came off the road, and we, had, we, were on a, we were in between airplanes and a bus, so we were traveling. And I don't, you know, I'm sure you've interviewed lots of great musicians. That world was not Christian. It, was, uh, it wasn't Christian, it was just... The, the road and uh, it's a very incredible place to be uh, if you have the if you have the stomach for it but it's also very uh, it's kind of disillusioning where you come off of a tour and you regular life is so weird you know we we had food whenever we needed food we we kept weird hours our, our laundry was done for us I mean, it's just a very strange place you don't know where you are from city to city you don't really know what's going on you just know you're playing music and I had come off a six-month tour and saw my sister, who I loved to pieces, um, and my family, by the way, just as a caveat, we're very close. My mom, my sister, my brothers, and I, um, we were close to, during this whole time. Um, and they, of course, were very happy for me to, you know, to be successful in the way that I was. We had some hits on the radio, and we got some cool Rolling Stone magazine articles That's and all the things cool. that yeah. you'd be excited for. They were excited for us. But I came off of this tour, and she saw me, and she she said to me, she said, you you are a mess. Because I just looked, I gained a lot of weight. Um, I smoked about three, four-pack cigarettes a day. I was taking some pills, and I was drinking a lot. And she said, uh, what are you doing? And she was the one who, by the way, got my whole family to come to church years before that. Yeah. Right? So she was 15 when we started going to that Lutheran church. I was 12. But all that time had passed, but she had remained very spiritually intact, as was my brother. Um, they had remained very close to the Lord. And I came off this tour, and she said, she's like, you, you are a mess. Like, who are you? And, of course, you know, she was right. And she had said, uh, you should come to a church. You should come to church with me. And I said, I'm 
not going to church with you. Like, I, I'll be struck by lightning if I go to church with you. And she said to me, she said, listen, it's on Saturday nights. You can smoke there out front. Amazing. And pastor plays drums. And when we're done, I'll go buy you beers. That's what she said. So... Jesus, 
I'm a liar. That's what it felt like. And again, trying to make long stories short, over the course of the next few months, I started to meet new people and learn about grace, learn about love, learn about who Jesus says I am, to learn about the fact that church music doesn't have, I remember feeling like the Lord was like, church music doesn't have to sound like church. Just play music and play it for me. And and that was something brand new for me. And so I, I... I was excited about it. I knew that my life needed to get cleaned up. I, I, I ended up um, walking away from my record deal. It's a miracle that that former band, that former record label, I, I won the case to own my masters, which is incredible. Wow. I let out of my deal, and I was kind of in this place of like, okay, so now what do I do? Do I do I make Christian music? Do I am I supposed to be? I didn't know who I was or what I was going to do. I just knew. It needed to be for Jesus. And over the course of a couple of months, years, I just kept going to church and kept learning about Jesus. And I sobered up. I haven't had a drink since it's been 20 years, maybe. Not quite 20 years. It's been a long time. Um, God really helped me with that. I quit smoking. I lost 100 pounds. I was 100 pounds overweight. I Everything just changed. And my love for the Lord grew. And in that time, I'm giving you lots of information, so you may never be able to ask another question. But in that time, I felt like the Lord had told me to make, before I was a pastor, to start making great songs for him. Start writing music. Take your all of that you've done and just make songs and lead the worship services. And so eventually I started, I was was hired on as a worship leader. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I would start bands and I started feeling like God was like you know what if the best bands in the world came out of local churches what if you didn't have to go into the world to see a great band but you could go to a local church and you could hear authentic music and professional production and Mm -hmm. incredible authenticity and lots of passion wouldn't people come see that that's what gripped me was I wanted to go and, and meet the bands that I had played with and I wanted to give that passion away so many years before, but now I just wanted to use all of it to draw people to Christ. And and uh, over time, I started developing bands, uh, started helping younger artists realize, you know, hey, you're in church, and if you write hip-hop music, do it for Christ. Yeah. If you write alt-country music, do it for Christ. If you write uh, screamo music, do it for Christ. Let's do it and make it about this local church, like, be you, start your bands, make it awesome, I'll help you record, I'll produce the records, I'll work with great studios, and we'll release our own songs, and we'll we'll see what God does with it, and maybe one day something awesome will come from it. Uh, during that time, I became a pastor. In 2006, I was raised up as a pastor, and uh, my role then is to help the music ministry and also to teach the Bible. And over the last four years, three years, we've partnered with some great companies, and uh tried to kind of bring attention to what Jesus is doing specifically here in Utah, the least evangelical state in the country, um, through our music ministry and through our church. So that's where I am today, loving the Lord, love our church, love our music industry, our music ministry, hoping to further the message of the gospel, hoping to bring attention to the fact that God can take people like me and take incredibly religious people, and no matter who you are or what you've been through, either incredibly moral, like religion, or incredibly immoral, like how I was, um, Jesus is there, and music is a hook to bring him in.
influencer. I felt like I was at church in the best way. And I was like, yes. So I love that. I feel like I learned so much about you. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. I know it's part of like your story now. It's part of what you, you've shared with many people, but there's still something so sacred about talking about your journey, sharing about your dad's about overcoming addiction that uh that takes a lot even when you're 20 years in recovery um so thank you so much i really appreciate that that's amazing um now that you are i don't want to say a church musician you're a musician who is a pastor who creates great music in churches um but now that you do that how did your career in in music formally how did that prepare you to create such great quality music now that's about jesus that's a great question i there's so many things one is uh church culture at least still today in many ways you'll see these sweet people that you know are the best that they've got the best hearts and they're there on a weekend or whatever it could be and and they're playing, you know, acoustic guitars and drums. And I, I'm not in any way trying to attack this, by the way. I'm just stating an obvious thing that's been through the years. Not not in every church by any means, but in many. Yeah, many. Yeah. Oh, oh, that would have music stands and and uh, kind of cruddy gear, right? And not really well rehearsed and. Um, and didn't sound good and not a lot of time spent, but a lot of heart. So much heart. Yeah. 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 Trying to be like, Hey, let's sing about, um, the, the salvation of God or let's sing about, you know, the goodness of God. And, and they would take these songs and they kind of, um, my experience that was that they would kind of just eke their way through some of these songs and they would never sound great. And, uh, and yet, and yet we have the best message in the world. Jesus loves everybody. He wants you to come to a relationship with him. He wants to to change it from the inside out. He wants you to know that he's the author of everything good, that he made it and he loves you and he knows who you are. We have the greatest message. And I would go to a concert on the side, either be the one performing or, you know, in the past, or go to another show. And I would see these musicians and they would just die on stage. I mean, they would be like, incredible they would play these the drum the pocket everything would be perfect and they loved it and they played it and the gear was good and their production was good and their look was good and everything about it was about the fan coming in and experiencing something that the band thought was great their music their idea their theology whatever it might be we want a part of it because what we're seeing is somebody that believes in something yeah. You know, they believe in their own music. They believe in what they're presenting. They believe in the vibe that they're giving, what they're projecting. And then you would go to a church that has a way, in my opinion, the most important message in the world. Mm-hmm. And you would have these dear people that were untrained, that that were afraid to step into maybe something that could be considered showy, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe distracting because they didn't want to get in the way of the Lord, or maybe because they didn't know how. They didn't have anybody else that was a better musician because the world had all the great musicians, and the church was kind of left with no good musicians. And so the way that I felt like that prepared me to go to your question, how did my background in music prepare me for where we are today? I just want, I felt like the Lord was like, Steel, you be you. Like, because at the time I had long hair and whatever, you know, I, I didn't fit in a church mold was like just playing music the way you would play it in any arena. Because that's what I played. I had to play it in arenas. Play it in this church of 100 people. Mm-hmm. Play it in the church of 300 people. Play it into the church of 1,000 people. Just play music, but make it about me. Take songs that you've heard written before that other people have done and make it cooler to my standard. Take away the music stands. Take away the clunky gear, make it electric, make the drums sound good, make the bass, if people can't play, don't let them play. Don't just tell them, hey, I love you to pieces, but you should practice. Go and practice and then maybe play. <laughs> so I feel like what, what God had used in my history was kind of like the idea of, I was 
from the young age, my dad groomed me and groomed me and groomed me. And then he waited a couple of years until we played our first show. And then our first show was a throwaway show. And then by the time we were ready, we were just going because we're professionals. Mm-hmm. It was that idea of let's be good at this. Let's, yeah. let's write cool songs and play great music and, of course, make it about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Yeah. But be the kind of church that when people walk in, they go, you know, I can, I, if I were to go to a concert on a Saturday night or I were to come to a church on a Saturday night, the same level of professionalism is in both places. about the rock church and the rock music um i know you guys just released a single but can you tell me more about you've released i don't know how many albums now but tell me about that ministry and what that means for you yeah yeah yeah. so the rock church is a non-denominational bible believing church in utah um we we know where we are in our culture we want to reach out to uh you know the, the LDS culture around us, but also to anybody who just wants to hear about Jesus. And so our church services, you know, we have uh, pastors that teach out of the Bible. We have uh, music that is hopefully as dynamic as I shared with you. You know, obviously bands can ebb and flow and, and progress, but overall the vision is to be excellent, to write original music, to incorporate other people's music into our worship services so they can sing and respond to Jesus. Our church exists to make Jesus Christ known. That's all we want to do. We want people to take one step closer to Jesus. We, we, um, everything we do from where our building is located to the coffees that we give away to the ministries that we partner with to the music that we played is all about trying to just be an open invitation for people to come find out about Christ. So that's the mission of the church really is to, to, to win the lost to build a believer in Christ and to send people out into the world so that they can know about Christ. Um, the rock music, it started really back in 2003. I had came off, like I said, the road. I felt like the Lord was asking me to start writing original music. The pastor at the time, who's still one of the pastors of our church, said, Steele, you knew my background. We've been friends by now. He said, what if you wrote a worship record? Um, and and I'll and the church will pay for it. You write a worship record, and the church will pay for it. The dream, <laughs> amazing. So he said, "Don't worry about the cost. We'll just pay for it. You go into the studio and you do it." Well, I did it. I had never written worship songs before, um, but I knew where I was with the Lord. I knew there was a lot of grace and love, and so I wrote a, a record called Anything in two thousand and three, and the church released it. And there was only it was all original music, and. Uh, just a sidebar on that, because I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do in my future. I didn't know I was going to be a pastor. I didn't know what the rock music was going to be. I didn't know what the future had. Um, I had sent it to a few friends in the music industry, and, and they even then were like, Seal, you should be a Christian artist, and we'll sign you to these particular record companies, and we'll make it about you. Like, you, Seal, you, you be a Christian artist. That was kind of what was presented. 
And I almost went down that road, but during that time, as I continued to go to the church, I felt a, a, a greater tug of the Lord saying, it, it can't be about you, Seal. I, I want to use you, but, but the method that I want to help you with is through a local church. I want it to be attached to a local church. And so it kind of is like, if you get me, you get a church. It kind of feels a little bit like that because the church had changed my life. And I knew where we were in the country. I knew what, what kind of church this was, though it has flaws. Um, I, I, that, the idea of just being an independent artist, though I don't think it's wrong by any means, there are so many incredible Christian musicians um, that are, are kind of doing their own thing. I felt like what the Lord continued to say to me is build a ministry, build a legacy, build a brand. So in 2005, I released another album that was just me. Uh, called Captured by Grace. And by that time in 2005, there were lots of people coming to our church. A lot of more visitors, lot, lots of artists, lots of young, old people. God was just opening the flood, like, floodgates. And it was at that time that I felt like the Lord was asking me to start making band, bands. Make bands. Help them write original music. Help them find their passion. Be the church in town that funds their records and their dreams and make it about the local church. And so... From 2003 to just this last, my goodness, what, May? We've been releasing original music all along this time. And sometimes it's been compilation albums where we've had five, six bands on a record. Sometimes it's been a single EP. Sometimes it's been um, another album of mine. Sometimes it's been an album of another. But we've wanted to really cultivate this idea of musicians bringing their own uh, style to the church. I'm a firm believer that the church should be the place where art is shown. Great art should come out of a church. That's how it used to be. Great art used to come out of this adoration for the Lord. And so I want to have a culture where it's like music comes from the church. And so to answer your question, yeah, we've been making original music since 2003, and it's kind of been this journey of style and up to the, our most, you know, last release, which is all around, which we're excited about. Um, it's, it's been a fun journey. It's been a, it's been a long journey, but it's it's been something that I feel like the Lord has called us to. Yeah, that's so good. I love that. I love what you say about art coming out of the church and like the church creating such beautiful, magnificent art. I, I love that because I feel like it's something that we, we want, but sometimes we, like what you said before, people wrestle with it. Should we be making this? And then there's this awkwardness between churches who do and don't do it. And I just love it when, I, I love that you're now cultivating musicians and encouraging them in that. To have the backing of the church with their musicianship is something that's really powerful and is, is quite unique which is really cool, especially in the 2000s. That was like, I think yeah, you've only got to heal One thing we've, we've, we've wrestled with is um, there's a lot of great church movements now that have lots of great music, and I'm sure you've interviewed them or known all about them. And the sound that they make is kind of in within that kind of structure that yeah. most of their musicians sound similar to that, or yes. that's kind of what works for their church, and that's awesome. But one thing that we've tried to continue to cultivate is I'm not going to sound like the other guy, and I don't know that the other guy should sound like me. Yeah. And maybe one's more commercial, maybe one's more worship-oriented, maybe one's more indie rock, maybe one's more alt-rock, maybe one's more hard rock, but that's what you have. Yeah. And if you have that, I don't want to take that away from you to make you like me. Or take what I have to offer away from me to make me like you. Yeah. So we're trying to to, to create a variety so good. where within the rock music, it's it's not just a one sound. And we've wrestled a bit with that within the brand of it can be very confusing because you'll hear, you know, if you go back into our catalog, you'll hear a rock music that sounds like this and another one that sounds totally different. And it can be hard. Is it the same? And so, why does it sound so different? And so now we're starting to learn, you know, this is the rock music featuring this artist. The rock music featuring that artist. So that there can be some delineation um, between the the different sounds. And so we're trying to hold on to that and offer it and see how it goes. We're trusting God for it, but that's kind of our model now. 
come what may You are God Come what will I am not Come what may You are God And come what will You're still God My last question for you If you could go back in time to uh, the day before you re-entered the church that allowed you to smoke outside and you'd have beers afterwards, what would you say to yourself knowing what you know now? What would I say to myself knowing what I know now? I think what I would say is this is going to be way harder than anything you've ever imagined and way better. Yeah. I think that's what I would say. Because it's been there's been a lot of hard things too, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of both personally, you know, uh, wrestling with fame is very hard for me as a person. It's just a weakness I've always wanted to be uh, known for something. But the Lord has continually said, "No, wow. no. I want you to. I want you to be known for loving me. Yeah. If people know you, steal crosswide. It'll be because you love me. That's it." And that has been hard. Not because I don't want that in my inner self. I do want that. But there's always this desire for validation. There's always a desire to be something. That that's hard. Yeah. Um, That's hard today, twenty years later. You know. Um, But also, it's the best because my life can be truly free. It's like when I when I have resolved to make my life about Jesus that's it doesn't mean I don't enjoy good things I love my family oh my gosh my wife is amazing my kids are spazzes they're awesome <laughs> I love coffee I love I love life yeah. but when I've been like my life's about Jesus that one commitment has anchored everything and so though it is so hard to continually be like nope that doesn't fit I don't know if that's going to be the right thing. Though that is hard, it's also awesome because I'm free. Yeah. I'm so free. It's like a commitment in marriage. You know, the whole world before you get married is open to you. Mm-hmm. But then when you get married, it's, no, you're it. Yeah. I'm going to be committed to you. This is a one. I'm going to be an expert at you and you at me. Yeah. And, and now we're free. No matter what anybody says, we're free. Yeah. That's what it's like with Christ. So I think I would say... This is going to be way harder than you ever thought, but way better. And I think that's true. boggling is still Crosswhite's story. Like you hear about people having road to Damascus moments or like massive conversion moments, 
but I don't know, in my experience, you hear about them so, so rarely. Still story is incredible because it's so raw and it's real. And it's like, yeah, he had somewhat, somewhat of a conversion moment, if you call it that. But really, it was a choice after choice after choice of choosing a different life for himself after he experienced God. And that's, that's just really cool and so powerful. Now, if you would like to connect with Steele and his team at The Rock Music, go ahead and do it. You will find them on Instagram at The Rock Music. All the details about the church, The Rock Church in Utah are also there. And you can check out their website at experiencetherock.com. Full disclosure, if you search The Rock Music on Google, you are going to come up with a bizarre plethora of results, including maybe songs by Dwayne The Rock Johnson, greatest hits pirated on YouTube, who knows what. So just trust me, head straight to their website at experiencetherock.com or go to their socials. That's, that's your safest bet here, my friends. And you can pick up their latest single all around now on your favorite music platform. There's also, like I said, 10, 20 years worth of music there that you can browse through, listen to of all styles. So make sure you check that out as well. That was such a cool and unexpected uh, episode for me. An unexpected guest. Like I said, I never would have probably bumped into Steel in, in real life. I never would have bumped into Steele in my normal life. He, he's not from Nashville. I've never been to Utah. I, I know very little about life there. Um, but I'm so grateful now that I can say I have a friend and a church family in Salt Lake City, which is awesome. Actually, the only thing I know about Salt Lake City is that the Winter Olympics were there. And I think that's partially because there was a Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen movie. That's a really, really, like, deep back cut. But anyway... <laughs> I probably just confused a whole bunch of people, including still. But if you are a 90s kid like me, that reference made you very happy. Next week, my friends, we have an interview with Tasha Layton. Oh, I, I okay, I get excited every week when we have a guest, right? But let me tell you, I've been trying to get Tasha Layton on this podcast for probably about a year now. She has an incredible story about surviving suicide about working in the quote-unquote secular music industry, um, about overcoming anxiety and depression. She is just a ray of sunshine. And I know that sounds like such a cliche, but it was such a joy talking to her. Um, We've had such different lives, but I felt such a deep connection with her as a survivor. And I am so happy so, so happy that we finally get to hear her story and celebrate her new music. So make sure that you're subscribed to Between You and Me on your favorite podcast platform. As soon as our episode with Tasha drops, you will get it. You can also connect with us at any time at Between You and Me Pod or check us out online at our brand new website, betweenyouandmepod.com. It's shiny and new and pretty and I would love you to check it out. That's all I have for you this week. There's a lot going on in the world. I'm not going to pretend it's easy, but I'm really, really glad you're here. Thanks for joining me for this conversation. I hope it gave you some hope and I will see you next week. Thaw wrong, thaw wrong.